Would Big 12 expansion hurt the quality of football in the conference? Would it keep it the same? Would it improve it? We'll assess that claim today. And also some new rule changes. A lot of people like me pumping our fists about some rule changes that are coming to college football. We'll explain those as well on today's show. You are Locked On Big 12, your daily podcast on the Big 12 Conference, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Josh Neighbors here, Locked On Big 12 Podcast. Thank you all for watching, for listening to the show, for engaging with us. However you do it, wherever you are, whatever platform you do, so we appreciate it. Uh, make sure you guys follow us on Twitter, at LOBig12. You guys can find me at Josh Neighbors underscore Get this podcast wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify. And thank you all for subscribing on uh, YouTube. If you are just an audio listener, I would encourage you all to go over to YouTube and subscribe. And if you don't watch the videos over there, that's just, you know, it's, it's really good for us to help kind of up the subscriber count. You know, it helps people trust us more. And those of you who follow the show, you know, uh, I feel like you guys, you know, trust me with the content, the quality of the content, and the accuracy of the information that we discuss here. Once again, I don't report a lot of things, but I like to get things accurate uh, and kind of the conversations that we have. So thank you all for helping us get to 4K. Help us start getting to 5K. If you watch the show normally, but you don't subscribe yet, please do. If you know some folks who might like the show, tell them to subscribe. We're here five plus days a week with Big 12 content. All right. So uh, Let's go rule changes first, then we'll hit the uh, hit the kind of ideas about is the Big 12 going to get better if they add more schools. Uh, all right. So first, here we go. Uh, with the rule changes, saw it from Dennis Dodd this morning. I've also seen it from Nicole Auerbach. Uh, the three big rule changes that are coming to college football are as follows. Number one, the running clock after first downs uh, the clock will run after first downs like the NFL, except for the last two minutes of each half. Banning the use of consecutive timeouts by a team. Carrying over a foul to the second or fourth quarter rather than playing the game on an untimed down. These three rule changes, are they do a couple things. Uh, predominantly, folks, they make the game shorter, which in a number of plays and also time played, which makes it safer. And there is a big conversation about player safety. And here is my opinion on football player safety. Football is a violent sport. They can do whatever they want rules wise. Some of them I'm bored with some of them I don't like it, like how they overprotect the quarterback, the emphasis really on protecting the quarterback. Uh, it kind of leads to some really bad calls oftentimes. And, um, you know, stuff like that I really don't like, but things like this I do like. Number one, it helps the game flow. Nobody has watched NFL games and been like, these games flow terribly. Nobody does that. There have been some complaints, and, I, you know, viewership numbers don't drop with college football, but when you watch the games, you feel like you can tell, like, there are some moments where games do drag on. There's no need for the clock to stop after achieving a first down. It just doesn't need to be that way. And so um, I think this is a is is great because it's just going to make the game flow better. Also, another thing about this too is it's going to mean less plays, right? Less clock stoppages mean less plays. Less plays mean less injuries or less potential for inter, uh, injuries, at least. Why is that? 
Football is a violent game, folks, as I just mentioned. You can do everything you want, but at its core, football is a violent game. It's one of the reasons that we do like it so much. You know, it's kind of a, a lot of people like combat sports or like, you know, maybe even like, you know, pro wrestling, what it is like that. People like conflict and conflict resolution. They kind of like the aggressive nature at which they solve the conflict, right? Which two teams are better? Well, we're going to, we're going to, you know, lace up the shoes, put on our pads, tighten up the chin straps, and we're going to see who's better. Put the mouth guard in and we're going to line up and see who can punch, you know, the other person in the mouth, right? How often do we mention on this channel that games are won and lost in the trenches? They are at many levels. Skill, talents, fantastic, but you see it time in and time out. You know, the team that has the advantage up front more often than not, and I would say more often than more often than not, uh, will win, right? Will win these games. And that's why we like football. That's good. And injuries are part of the sport. It is a violent game. So whether it be the type of helmet they wear, you know, whether it be certain rules, I'm all for playing, you know, trying to make the game safer, um, you know, getting guys in trouble for the weight, like the, the suplexing stuff. Like I'm cool with, yeah. Like sometimes guys don't need to suplex guys, right? That's, that's not how that guys need to tackle. Sure. Flag that, uh, you know, how or when you hit the quarterback, sure, you shouldn't be able to tag them three, you know, two or three seconds after the ball's out. But you know, if it's a tight play, yeah, and sometimes they gotta take a hit, right? There's a middle ground with a lot of these rules. Like I mentioned, you shouldn't suplex guys and tackle, sure, but they shouldn't be throwing flags as fast as they do for uh, you know, guys hitting the quarterback. The quarterback has to stand in there, has to get hit, they're protected enough as it is, you know, targeting and whatnot. Yeah, there should be some uh some real conversation about what is targeting, right? Sometimes guys lower their helmets and hit people. The one thing I get frustrated by is that you'll see a guy put his head down and try to spear somebody or, or, you know, not try and spear, but like they make a horrible mistake with their tackling and they'll miss someone, right? They'll miss somebody. But the fact remains, they still attempted to like tackle in a horrible tackling position that could have left them injured and could have left the person that they are hitting injured. And just because they miss, we don't penalize it. Sometimes guys, you know, lay the wood, you know, with a shoulder or whatever, or sometimes, you know, the, the part of the helmet gets involved or a guy goes really low and the only way they can, you know, kind of get them is, is tackling down on them. And they get called for targeting. That shouldn't happen. And sometimes you see a guy, it's like, yeah, it's a bad hit, but, but does this young man deserve to be ejected from this football game for a mistake? Why is it not 15 yards, right? There's middle ground with all of this. That's why I do not like the absolutes on things like targeting, you know, on things like roughing the passer, stuff like that. I, you know, I, I don't love the absolute sometimes nature of those calls. And so there should be wiggle room on some of this stuff. But I, I think the nice compromise about this rule is these rules are that under two minutes to play in the game, right? Uh, in, in each half, you will get the opportunity to have the clock stop, right? It's much like advancing the ball in basketball. Normally, do you get it to advance it? You know, no, not all the time. But in the end of the game, they advance it because what does it do? It makes the sport more entertaining. And after all, what are sports if not entertainment, right? That's the whole point of this exercise is that it's entertainment. So making that, you know, under two minutes, yeah, you get the opportunities. You're gonna, you know, the clock will stop. And some folks might say, well, why, why should it stop now? No, I, I think it's good. I think that makes the game more fun. Once again, I liken it very much to advancing the basketball in women's college basketball, I do it. And also the NBA does that as well. I like those rules that they have when it comes to advancing the rock. So I like those rules. Uh, banning the use of consecutive timeouts. 
I am on I am on board with this as well. There's no reason somebody should call back to back timeouts. If you screw up after a timeout, that's kind of on you at this point. You should take whatever's coming your way. Also, we do not need the double icing of the kicker. It's just not good for game flow. It prolongs the games and it's just really, you know, it's extra timeout just to psych a kid out. And it's like, okay, get your one. We don't need to use two. It's not really, not really what I think should happen. And if the official needs to call a timeout after timeout, sure. But if there's something else, you know, the coaches shouldn't be should not be doing it. And then carrying over a foul from the second or fourth quarter. Um, so basically, if there is a targeting at the end of the first quarter, you know, uh, they would used to do the untimed down. Well, there's really no reason to do that in the first and third quarters. Now, what you might say is, what you could say is, well, if a team is trying to rally and make a comeback, every second is crucial. And so having the one untimed down for them to score is one extra play that they don't have to run in the fourth quarter or take up any time. Sure, but it's going to be a minuscule amount of time. You might say, well, I could have got broke a big play on the next play. Yeah, but still, I think I've got no problem with that. I, I don't like the untimed down in the first or the third quarters. Now, you're going to get them in the second and the fourth quarter, right? Because that's the end of a half. And at the end of the half, we switch sides and we switch, you know, who gets the ball. And then also at the end of the quarter, it makes sense as well, uh, you know, in the fourth quarter because it is the end of the game. First and third, not so much. So these, all of these rules, you can tell by design that they're to make the pace of play quicker. And also they make, they make things a bit safer. And I'd say, well, they're messing with our sports. I don't appreciate that. I want more football. Yeah, sure. But also this is how the NFL goes. And not many folks are out here complaining about the National Football League and how that goes, right? So not many folks complaining about the pace of play in the NFL, nor should they be. It's a league that makes a ton of money. And the game flow is just fine. And it feels like a lot of times those games aren't running longer than they normally should. But you get no T game, like, you know, you're watching Red Zone. A lot of those games wrap up kind of in the time and fashion that they should. All right, let's take, take a quick break and then discuss the quality of Big 12 football if the conference expands. Today's Locked On Big 12 podcast is brought to you all by the folks at Built.com. Something exciting is coming to Built.com on April 22nd. Don't have all the details yet, but the excitement, the buzz, it's there. It's something that you will not want to miss. If you know how Built works, they have the most incredible protein bars in the world, and they do these amazing flavor drops with unreal flavors in limited quantities. So mark your calendar and head to Built.com on Saturday, April 22nd to see and to be one of the first people to discover what all the hype is about. Can't wait to see what the new flavor is. Mark your calendars and also make sure to use that promo code LOCKEDON15, L-O-C-K-E-D, ON15, you'll get 15% off your order. All right, so I think this is an interesting question. Some of you all might disagree, but the idea that, you know, we understand from the uh, the business perspective what the Big 12 accumulating more schools does for them. I've said it before, I will say it again. Adding more schools to them increases their profile, at, and especially as the West Coast schools, It'll add uh, more schools in different locations that they can have games, different TV windows. And also if it's Pac-12 schools, it will weaken the Pac-12. And you weaken the Pac-12 because the Big 12 and Pac-12 are kind of on equal footing. Then, you know, if you're offering uh, a, a higher quantity than you are now of games in the West Coast time zones, uh, you know, late time zones on Saturday, and you are offering better quality of games, which could be the case if you break up the Pac-12, then you are going to be more valuable when the next TV contract rolls around. Therefore, schools get more money. Therefore, they've got, you know, going to be more competitive. Hopefully, they can win a bit more, right? So 
that is why you would do it from the business perspective. But in the immediate, I think there's a um, a question. I'm not sure like how much it really matters, but I think it's an inter- It's going to matter if it happens. But um, would the quality of the Big Twelve in terms of football increase if they added new schools? And particularly, it's the schools we're talking about, right? Let's just think about the schools that are being tossed around right now, because we could go down the road of saying, what if they added Clemson? Yeah, it'd be great if they could add Clemson. They can't. Even if it's like we're talking about right now, you know, could they add a, I don't know, people throw out Memphis, right? Uh, you know, could you add them to make the quality of football better? And, and I, you know, I'm not going to get into that right now because I want to talk about the teams and the schools that have been mentioned a lot recently. So if they added Arizona, if they added Colorado, let's just take those two, for example, right? If you add those two schools, is the quality of football going to be better? And I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to look into the, into the future. So I think we have to use the immediate more to, to kind of think about this. You are losing Oklahoma and Texas and say what you want, but those two schools have been um, Oklahoma in their history in the big 12 has been competitive, right? They had their stretch. They wanted a whole lot. Texas was competitive. I mean, Texas is kind of a joke, but they are a competitive football team from a roster standpoint. Uh, and right now they are a competitive team of a roster standpoint. They didn't win the league last year. They did not go to the Big 12 championship game last year, but they are still a competitive team nonetheless, right? So you're losing those two schools. So I think from a competitive standpoint, you have to admit, and I know folks are mad at Texas, know you, but I think you have to admit the conference is worse off from overall football. And I'm not even talking about money from a football health perspective without those two brands in it. I don't think that's a pretty disputable statement. Uh, if you do, then I'm not really sure the show is for you because, um, you know, I think we're operating on a different thought plane, but there's no really dispute that losing them hurts. Uh, adding Arizona and Colorado is interesting, right? Because both of those programs, at least in the last year or so, and I mean, for Colorado, the last like few months, the trajectories of the programs have changed. Arizona was down bad at the end of the Kevin Sumlin era. They have brought in Jed Fish, and the talent on the roster has very much increased. The results have gotten a bit better. I think Arizona, let's see, Arizona football, um, I don't know the Pac-12 football standings last year. They were five and seven, right? Uh, let's see the standings from 2022. Uh, Arizona was five and seven overall, three and six in the league, right? Colorado was one eight, one eleven overall. So you're thinking about that. Okay, they're, they're upward trajectory, right? Um, they're still maybe not all the way there. And getting used to new opponents and potentially new recruiting ground means that I think in the immediate, it's two worse teams. So maybe it's a couple extra wins for some of the teams at the top. Because, you know, I think we do this thing every single year where we preview the teams. We're like, oh, my God, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to look kind of best case scenario for a lot of schools. And we always forget, like, somebody's got to take losses. Now, the Big 12 was very weird last year in the sense that the worst teams in the league, Iowa State and uh, and West Virginia, were not were not horrible, right? Iowa State's defense was very good. Their offense was was god awful. And then you think about too, and but like you know, it's still a team that beat Iowa, right? Like you know, and still they were you know competitive in some games as well. And then you think about, you know, another team, West Virginia, who has beaten another average team, Oklahoma State, in the last few weeks of the season. And that's not a well-organized good group, but, like, they were still able to be semi-competitive. You know, they beat Oklahoma and Oklahoma State last year. Good Lord, right? And so, like, they were not terrible. They were not good. They were not terrible, though. 
Uh, if you add some schools, like somebody's got to be bad, right? Unless you somehow, I mean, I don't know the exact math, but somebody's going to take some losses, right? Somebody's going to have to lose games. Uh, you know, you might have a bunch of nine and three teams up top and, you know, some worse, like whatever, five and seven, but typically it's not how things play out. So yeah, some schools would take losses. I'm not sure if it's those schools. I, I would tend to say at least Arizona, maybe yes. In the beginning, maybe Arizona and some of the new schools coming into the big 12, but somebody's got to take L's or maybe it is West Virginia. They fall even further. Maybe Kansas takes a step back. I mean, Iowa state cannot recover, whatever it is. So it kind of starts looking like other conferences where there's a bottom because I think the thing right now is the bottom of the Big 12 is probably the best bottom of the conference in any uh, in any football league, right? Like I would put the bottom of the Big 12, um, you know, SEC, you know, who was the bottom of the Big 12, uh, SEC last year, right? You had Florida's got, they were kind of a trainer, but they went six and six, right? Uh, Missouri was not good, but they were six and six, Um Let's see uh, the let's go the SEC football standings from last year. I, I know the bottom of the Big Twelve was better than the bottom of the ACC. I can tell you that, and we saw West Virginia played uh, Tennessee last year, right? So Vanderbilt was five and seven, A and M and Auburn five and seven. So I guess I guess you know I probably saw so all backtrack there. The SEC's bottom at least last year was better than normal. Like Missouri was not a good team; they were six and seven. They're pretty average, right? Uh, Vanderbilt five and seven. That was not like the worst football team I've ever watched in the world. AM was awful to watch. They were horrific to ab- They were just absolutely horrific football team to watch. Um, oh, they, they beat the LSU at the end of the year, right? So it's giving credit there. Auburn, obviously, we know that was a train wreck under Brian Harson at the end of the year. I got to see them live, not very good, but still, talent wise, that was a better bottom of the league than the Big 12 was. So the Big 12 is up there. The Big 12 is a good bottom, but the Big 12 did not have a bottom that looked like, you know, uh, Indiana or Northwest. I mean, good Lord, that, that big 10 East, whatever it was last year was a, was a, or whatever division it was, was a complete mess. Uh, and so was, you know, Pac-12, bottom of the Pac-12, complete mess, bottom of the ACC, complete mess, right? The bottom of the big 12 was not a complete mess. And the middle class of the big 12 was incredibly strong, right? You had programs like OU, Oklahoma state was there. Kansas with their great season was in the, you know, was in the, uh, uh middle tier, of the big 12 Baylor middle tier of the big 12, right? They built this very strong middle class, Texas tech and Texas, so on and so forth as you start trending towards the top. And so their middle class was strong. And so the games that they were able to put on were competitive, fun games that people look forward to watching, right? We talked about this when it came to the, uh, to Fox and their desire to maintain a relationship with the big 12. A big part of it, according to Andrew Marshan was the competitiveness of the big 12 top to bottom and the kind of, you know, the games that they offer. So I think with that, it's, it's a big thing to put a pin in. And I think the competition in the league overall is good. If you added Arizona and Colorado, yeah, I think there'd be a bit of a, not regression, but like they're going to be some, some more worse teams. Now what those bad teams look like, I do not know, but I think it's safe to say they get worse. Um, if you added Utah, Arizona state, Colorado and Arizona, if you added all four corner schools, you know, I think in the aggregate, your conference does improve because Utah is a machine right now. And also, I, I mean, I think there's a good ch- like there's a very good chance that one of those four schools, you know, or I think maybe even two of those four schools are very good. Because think about it like this. Utah is good. We know that Utah is good. Arizona, Jed Fish, we'll see if that thing works, but it's trending positively. Kenny Dillingham at ASU feels like a natural fit. And, and, and I was listening to that cover three episode. A lot of you all were talking about, you know, Kenny Dillingham is an ASU guy. 
and him being there and him injecting energy at it and kind of the offensive focus that he can give there and the energy and the life that he can present, you feel good about a chance of them resurrecting things. A timeline, you, know, you might feel better about him staying longer than Deion Sanders, the next guy I wanted to mention at Colorado. Like one of those three situations, folks, it feels like is probably going to work out. And so if you add two teams that are on an upward trajectory, at least two teams, and add two schools that end to be, you know, middle class towards the back, the football product, I mean, it's going to be better because, you you know, if you're adding some more top teams, that's good news, right? And the one thing about the Big 12 is there is no defined top yet. We have educated guesses, I think, about who are going to be the next top Big 12 teams. But it's hard to say for sure because six different teams – have played in the last three Big 12 championship games. And obviously that means that there have been no repeats. And so with that, you know, you're getting Oklahoma State up one year, Baylor up one year, OU up was, you know, and I know once again, they're leaving, moving on, but Iowa State was up one year. Kansas State. Now, I think a lot of people feel good about K-State going into this season, but there is a world in which K-State, you know, as for as many guys as they bring back, does not play well. I'm sorry, K-State fans. You know, I, I don't want to do this to you all, but let's use an example like in Iowa State. Iowa State brought back everybody from that team, had massive preseason expectations, and things didn't go well. Now, is Kansas State going to be a top eight team, I think, preseason? No, probably not. But I think the expectations for them are going to be relatively high. And with that, I think we have to, you know, think about, okay, once again, I'm not saying it's going to go bad. And sorry, my mind you know, immediately went to them not doing well, but I'm just saying that the track record is there's no guarantee. And look, who's more the model for TC? Well, it's Baylor because the type of school it is, right? You know, it's a, a private school, nice stadium, the Texas, you know, location. All right, big year for Baylor back in 2021, six and seven last year. Big year for TCU on a massive scale back in 2022. Let's see what this year holds. There's no guarantees, it feels like right now in the new Big 12 conference. And so with that, you know, if you can add more teams that can be a part of that rotation, like right now, West Virginia is not a part of that rotation, does not feel like they, they can be. Uh, Texas Tech feels like they are trending towards maybe being in that rotation. Can they be a part of that, right? Can you be a part of the apparatus here that filters teams in and out towards the top? Can they be like that? I definitely think Utah can. We'll see what happens to Colorado. And, I, you know, I think between, once again, Colorado, ASU, and Arizona, maybe you'd find one of those schools that can be a part of the rotation. Once again, guys, it's not about being up there every single year. It's about every three or four years, you go in 10 into 11 and 1, helping put on good football games, being a good story, and drawing eyes to the conference. And, and, you know, ultimately, I guess the next step is, all right, let's see if we can win some CFP games. But I think Utah uh, definitely offers that, and maybe the other two, you know, one of the other two could add. You know, basketball, when it comes to that, on this side, like, there's no doubt about this in my mind. If you're adding Arizona, just the top quality of the league will be better. And I also think that these schools, um, you know, they, the emphasis on basketball, let's just say for an ASU, and look, they, they were in the play-in this year. Utah wants to get there, and Colorado has been in the past. But, like, you're going to get your teeth kicked in for the first part of it, but let's see how long that lasts because you're not going to stand for that for too long. So I think there is a compelling argument to be made, at least, you know, especially for football, I should say, that things will improve for you, um, uh, you know, for, for at least a couple of these schools. And I think the maybe the short term returns would not be good. Um, you know, maybe some of those new schools would not be successful immediately. I think Utah probably your best case too, right? But in the long term, you know, I think there's no reason why those schools could not become a part of the rotation. We've seen the success that Utah has had as a new addition to the Pac-12. TCU's had as a new addition to the Big 12. 
It's all about who your coach is, right? And that's a G5 to a P5 jump. This is just P5 to P5. They've got the resources. They've got the needs, and especially in a conference where everybody's kind of around the same range when it comes to what you're bringing in and kind of the profile of the schools. I think there's a definite chance. All right, we'll have more next week on realignment as the news comes. Once again, follow us on Twitter at LOBig12. You guys can find me personally at JoshNeighbors underscore. Find the show where you get your podcast and on YouTube as well. Please subscribe to Locked On Big 12. Till next time, my friends, as always, stay safe.